Hello, and welcome to the Justice and Coffee podcast. The podcast where we talk justice over coffee with a special guest. And this week, our special guest is Dina Rodriguez, Creative Projects Executive at International Justice Mission. Dina interviewed me a few months ago as part of her master's degree at the University of Westminster on media campaigning and social change. She was looking at cocoa and coffee supply chains and how we at Blue Bear Coffee not only prevent exploitation in our supply chain, but how we communicate those efforts to our customers. We had such a good chat and Dina is such a bright and passionate advocate that I thought I would turn the tables and invite her onto our podcast to share with us. In this conversation, we discuss a little bit about why Dina left her career in the corporate world of advertising and marketing to join an anti-slavery NGO, and why she's so passionate for people to understand some of the complexities of modern slavery and how they can be part of the change. Have a listen and see what you think. Hello, Dina, and welcome to the Justice and Coffee podcast. How are you today? I couldn't be better. I'm so excited to be with you on this show. Thank you so much for inviting me. Oh, you're very, you're very welcome. Now, I have been rushing around a little bit this morning, but just before we came on, I, I took the time to make a cafetiere of Ethiopian coffee. What about you? Are you a coffee drinker, Dina? Please tell me you are. Well, let me just tell you, my favorite quote is life begins after coffee. And it rings so true. Nothing beats a nice cuppa in the morning before you dive into the chaos of life. And the thing about coffee is that I love everything about it. Right from the estates they grow in, the roasting, the grinding, the aroma. Oh, it just lifts my mood. In fact, the earliest memories of visiting my grandmother's house is that it always smelled of freshly brewed coffee that was served with a natural sweetener called jaggery. <laughs> nice so what's the that's the best answer i think i've ever had to that question so what is the what is that natural sweetener what's it called it's called jaggery so it's before sugar is refined so you know so it's natural it's organic and it's it's, it's amazing oh wow i'd never heard of that before so coffee coffee brings back positive thoughts and memories that's a good that's a good thing to hear but we're here to talk about justice today and we first got to know each other a few months ago now because you reached out to me and Blue Bear and asked if we could I think you were interviewing me really weren't you to find out some information from us about how we manage our supply chains how we try to ensure that nobody's being exploited in those coffee farms like you've just mentioned in our supply chains how we do that and uh, because you were doing it for some study right you were doing a master's in the UK so tell me tell me a bit about that how's that going so basically um, I'm currently pursuing a master's it's an MA degree in media campaigning and social change with the University of Westminster and I was particularly interested in this course because uh, as you know I am a communications and uh, advertising and marketing professional and what I thought was that this course would enable me to dive deeper into leveraging the power of storytelling, social media, PR and campaigning to build awareness for both behavioral and societal change. 
And one of the things that I was studying during my dissertation is basically looking at best practices in the cocoa and coffee industries to minimize slavery and exploitation in their supply chains. So that's why I came to you. Yeah, great. And how, what was, what stage are you at? Have you submitted it or are you still working on it? It's all done, submitted, done and dusted, waiting for the results. Nice. Congratulations. Does it feel good to have finished that? Yes, but I also think that there's so much work to do in the field. But I think like the research that I did, the whole social media campaign strategy that I did for IGM is just the starting point. Now I think you need to leverage those insights to work with corporates, to work with government, to work with the survivors and even citizens to bring about that change. I don't know if you found in your summation whether there were any key any key learnings that, that you presented in your in your dissertation? I think obviously there were there were many learnings, but I think uh, my uh, advice, if I had to speak to any corporate or any business, would be to start somewhere and to have incremental policies, you know, to build on what they already have, to keep looking, to be aware and educate the employees, you know, from right from the top level to the bottom levels to understand what exploitation looks like in supply chains and try and eradicate it. Mm. It's great that you have identified this in your role. You said you've worked in marketing, marketing has been your career typically and you also mentioned IJM so IJM hopefully most of our listeners will be familiar with IJM with those three letters we've heard uh, Lani Bankhead who's a special agent in Hawaii on their internet crimes against children division she was my uh, leader my my line manager when I was volunteering for IJM and then we had John Tanago from the Philippines speak to us recently about uh, cyber sex trafficking and, and OSEC online sexual exploitation of children and his role over there and he of course works for IJM so you are the third person that we've spoken to who's got a direct link to IJM we we're obviously a big big fan of that organization and and you're working well you've been working part-time with the UK office how's that been you, you can I say think, terrible it's it's fine <laughs> no no I think it's it's been a, a fantastic uh, time so far a great bunch of people very passionate for the cause and it's a remarkable to see the change even during this year of pandemic to actually see so many people rescued restored rehabilitated trainings workshops so it's it's been a great stint so far have you found that I can only imagine you have but have you found it particularly challenging to in your role in well the the marketing the 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 awareness the communications challenges of dealing with the pandemic still keeping the money coming in so you can do the work how how have you found that i think what has been remarkable brin is that our community of supporters and followers whether it's you know, our followers on social media and even our community of freedom partners who are committed to giving every month and month ensure that, that you know, uh, restoration happens, people are brought to safety and the work continues despite the pandemic. So I would give all that credit to the people who supported us globally and even in the UK. Mm, very, very well said. So what, before I sort of dig in to some of these subjects that I'd love to discuss with you today, Dino, I want to want to find out a bit about the lady 
the woman I'm talking to. And uh, well, first of all, like I was thinking, I hadn't even written this question down, but your name, Rodriguez, is Spanish, or at least I think of it as being Latin and, and, and Hispanic, but you do not look like a Hispanic lady. So where, where's that come from? So, so Bryn, basically, um, I come from South Asia. And um, my ancestors um, came from Portugal. So there is a mix of, you know, different, uh, you know, I, I mean, different backgrounds where I come from. So uh, from, from what I've heard is that my great great grandfather came from Portugal. I always love to try and dig out and excavate, you know, where did this journey begin for you, Dina? Where did you start? Where were those in initial experiences? that led you on to a, a journey of pursuing justice through the auspices of, of, of your job now in communications. Could you, could you think of any particular memories that might have been responsible for stirring you, for moving you in this direction? Sure. So um, I think Bryn, like you aptly put it, for me, it has been a journey. Um, ever since my college days, I have been involved in voluntary and missionary work, I've been working with orphanages, food distribution outreach programs, teaching children, et cetera. But I think after several years, I realized that not many people get involved in addressing human rights violations. That is something that strips people of their dignity. When I met victims of slavery and human trafficking, I was appalled at this condition they were living in and was determined to do something about it. When you asked me this question, what came to my mind was, I remember this, this one night uh, a couple of years ago where I was invited uh, for dinner at my friend's place. And she happens um, to stay in this really uh, swanky, plush uh, apartment complex. And we were having a good time. Uh, we were having dinner and suddenly there was a commotion outside and we could hear a lot of noise. So we went to the balcony and from her 11th, uh, her apartment on the 11th floor, we looked down and we could see a group of people. So we called the security and we found out that basically uh, there was this girl who had jumped from the 14th floor of, of the apartment opposite our building. And after probing further and reading the news articles um, in the following day, we got to know that there was this, uh, this couple, uh, there were two doctors, uh, a husband and wife who had a child and they were looking for a nanny. And basically they trafficked this, this young girl, this 12 year old girl from another part uh, of the country to uh, take care of the, this child. And this girl who was about 12 years of age was living with them for about 10 months. She wasn't getting paid. She wasn't given food. And she just had this one set of clothing that she wore day in and day out. And for the life of me, what I couldn't comprehend was that she had such, you know, she was in despair that she had no way out, that she had to just jump from the balcony. And what kept me thinking was that there were so many ways to stop that from happening. Mm -hmm. As a community, as a society, I couldn't just sit there and watch. I needed to do something about it. And that started my journey. And, and hence I found out about IGN. I met uh, the survivors and I knew that I wanted to be part of this movement. Oh, wow. So, I mean, that's such a tragic, a tragic story. How old were you at the time when, when that happened? If you don't mind me asking. It was about maybe 
three or four years ago. So it was it was fairly recently. Wow, what an awful, awful thing. It's just to think of a child being in the mindset to take their own life is is a, is a horrendous thing to consider. And at what? So what were you doing at that time? You say that ha- that sort of stirred you to 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 make that connection with IGM. What what was your employment at the time? So um, Bryn, I have about. Um, you know, about 10, 12 years of advertising and marketing experience. And my last stint was, was at a startup. And one of the things that I knew was since my skill sets were communication and PR and advertising, I felt that that was kind of fueling capitalism and consumerism. And I knew that that was not the space I wanted to be. So I had actually taken a sabbatical to do a digital marketing course. And I knew, and I was really on the lookout for doing something more meaningful. And that's when this incident happened. And that's when, uh, you know, somebody told me about IGM. And I knew that that this was the place that I needed to head to. Mm, that sounds very serendipitous and meant to be. That's that's good. I, I can definitely empathize with that sense I don't know what age you would have been at the time but when I first took a bit of a, a right hand turn and changed the, the course of my life and happened to get uh, take a, a, a voluntary position with IGM as an investigator I was working at a venture capital investment firm in Mayfair it was all about money if those people who are unfamiliar with Mayfair being probably the most wealthy part of London and it was about you know handmade suits and eating out in the right restaurants and 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 how to get rich people richer and i and i started to think what on earth am i doing here this doesn't align with my values or at all you know fulfill any sort of sense of purpose so i can certainly empathize with with that and uh, good for you we we we're so glad you made that transition and so what was the sort of work uh, that you were focused on when you went to IGM before you started your recent masters and, and working with the UK guys out in South Asia what what was the principal focus of that of that work so um, IGM uh, works on the issue of forced labor trafficking it is basically where people are forced to give up their basic human rights and freedom often held in really appalling horrendous conditions to pay back a debt now in many cases, perpetrators lure victims by giving them an advance or a loan that is used against them and forces them into debt bondage. Often this debt will be false or extortionate interest will be charged, which means that they can never pay pay that back, however hard they work. We have seen families trapped for generations in bondage for a debt even as low as 10 pounds. And this debt is usually taken to pay an urgent medical bill or funeral expenses. Now, Bryn, most of these people come from economically disadvantaged communities. Some of them come from agrarian societies uh, and climate change, changing rain patterns, monsoons, natural calamities, displace these communities and they become extremely vulnerable to trafficking. That is when they're looking for opportunities in cities, in urban areas, and, and that's how you know they get trapped. Now the pandemic has only worsened the prospect of slavery and exploitation. Uh, we've seen this forced labor trafficking across industries, 
uh, brick kilns, in agriculture, in silk farms, in poultry, uh, wood cutting units, coffee, sugarcane, pretty much all items of daily uh, use. And IGM works with uh, the authorities to ensure that people are brought to safety, restored, and by replacing impunity with accountability. That is very important because a functioning public justice system is key for systemic change. Replacing, I'm writing that down, replacing mm -hmm. impunity with accountability. See, I can see that you're in marketing and advertising and communications. That is a fantastic strap line. Did you come up with that yourself? Yeah, well, I was right. I mean, I was thinking about what I was going to say. Uh, but, but it's so important, Rin. I think this is perhaps the crux of, uh, of what is necessary. Uh, because otherwise, it will just be a revolving door of casework. You know what I mean? Like a revolving door mm. of rescues where uh, you know, it's just that people are gonna be tracked and it's just gonna be a cycle. Unless you create deterrence and you end impunity, uh, there is no other way out. No, of course. And it's interesting what you mentioned in terms of the actors that are creating the situation. I don't think people on the whole are that aware of the influence of climate change on human trafficking or modern slavery. And they don't think they tend to put those in the same category or see that that linkage that causal effect so it's good that you you mentioned that and uh, I think part of this communication challenge is getting people to see slavery in a different way so they have perhaps an idea they might still associate the words slavery with uh, the, the transatlantic slave trade and African people being chained up in the bottoms of boats by the East India Company sailed across and and that's obviously that was abolished in the 1800s but and it's moved on and it's 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 taken on different guises and part of the challenge is to say well actually that lady that painted your nails today is living in a situation of slavery or that man that washed your car or those people in the in the field over there picking potatoes or and trying to ask people to look at it differently to see it it's, it's almost hidden in plain sight that said those situations you just described about families and whole communities in some instances being trapped in debt bondage in a brick kiln or even a coffee plantation or that it almost harks back to those original ideas of slavery doesn't it with slave masters controlling people as if they are their property with the fear of death or, or, or physical abuse uh, over the case of of a man you know a monetary value which is yeah it's just horrendous to imagine that still takes place somewhere in the world that is true in fact uh, for for most of us uh, who've been exposed to this this form of trafficking uh, we all uh, thought that it was something of the past but it is hidden in plain sight uh, slavery and human trafficking are just very complex issues because they're not very tangible. Unless you probe, you never really know. So uh, that's why awareness is key. And that's why we all play such an important role because a lot of people think of slavery, they're thinking of black and white images. And it's our duty to convert that into colored images of today's day and age. Mm. Yeah, no, it's, it's well put. And, and, and how do you think it's best that we achieve that? How do we how do we do that appropriately? It, I think there's 
there's some kickback today and much of it justified i think in the way we communicate these stories and the way we don't perpetuate a cycle of um, reducing people to to snapshots of slavery you know a pair of hands wrapped in a chain or in, in a rope or sad faces and uh, how do we oh, take stories from survivors and empower them uh, rather than disempower them and and how do we encourage the, their lives and take their learnings rather than categorize them as victims well i don't know what what's your thoughts around that dina I think um, for sustainable change, it is imperative that survivors are an integral part of the solution. Whether it's planning, advocacy, policy development, I think it requires survivors' voices leading the way. The Global Survivor Network does just that. It paves the ways for survivors shaping and leading a movement to protect people in poverty from violence at a global level. Now, many of the local survivor groups in the network have been operating and advocating powerful, powerfully for many years in the communities. I want to talk about one survivor, Pache Yaman, who is a survivor of forced labor in South Asia. She was first enslaved as a child, and when her and her family became trapped, they were working in a rock quarry. She even met her husband, Arul, when they were in slavery and inherited their family's debts. They were held in the quarry, breaking rocks for over 12 hours a day. They were constantly watched, uh, always under the threat of violence from the owner. Until in 2012, IGM and local authorities worked to release both Arul and Pacheyaman. Now their story couldn't be more different. After spending years breaking rocks in slavery, early this year, we had the privilege of watching Pacheyaman present on the global stage for the World Economic Forum, sharing her story with thousands of others around the world, raising her voice, calling us to be a part of ending modern day slavery and to build back safer from the pandemic. Let me tell you, that is what it is really about. For me personally, Pachi Amal inspires me not to give up. She makes me want to do more. Even another survivor, Raja, who's part of the Global Survivor Network, spoke to the UK government about what needs to change. So I think we need to have a paradigm shift where the survivors are leading the way, inputting into the policies and sustainable solutions, even in supply chains. Yeah, I completely agree. So the, so the Global Survivor Network, is that what it's called? Yes. Yeah, that's fantastic. Survivors from all over the world, uh, actually inputting uh, into various platforms uh, and leading the way and also ensuring that others are not trapped in slavery. It's brilliant. I was on a a forum discussion not too many weeks back and it was about issues in the, the sex industry and this debate I think I've referenced it on the podcast a few times um between two two groups some saying that the best answer is to uh, legalize sex and, and the, the other or, or to decriminalize sex the other answer is 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 not you know <laughs> the opposite and to regulate it and to be mindful of it and these are two different directions there are several options and i've done a terrible job at trying to um, reduce that to something simple because it's not however every spokesperson had a very articulate and academic viewpoint and they all sort of made a slight excuse that i'm really sorry that there's no survivor informed opinion here today and that was it right i'd much prefer to hear the opinion of someone with lived experience who can tell us 
what it's really like rather than what we've we've read about and uh, so i think you're right i think survivor the survivor network is a great is a great concept and i i remember just from my time with ijm and being connected as as part of the journey they've been on is learning i think the the term they used at the time was authentically international we need to be more authentically international and how how do we do that it's no good broadcasting meetings in the english language when 70 percent of our international workforce don't have a good understanding of the english language that's not particularly sympathetic or empathetic to, to their to their communication requirements is it so there's been a there's been a change uh, probably taking place since i left and, and when you started about how to do that more sensitively more appropriately more authentically international which is a good which is a good good journey to go on i think a good realization to have and i i don't want to hark back to the, the point i was making earlier but it is so important i think for ingos international ngos to to be really really aware of how we do charity how we do aid I've been reading a book called Dead Aid recently, which you can imagine what the opinion of the author might be about institutional aid and government aid and how actually it can be really ineffective if it's not handled appropriately, if it's not uh, spent properly. And uh, yeah, I for one, as someone leading a, a, a small venture, uh, but a, a venture all the same aimed at helping people. How do I do that appropriately without creating more more issues you know how do i do this sensitively and and i can't change my gender or my faith or my ethnicity but but i want to make sure that i do things well that is uh, i'm a, I'm, I'm practicing aware awareness in my environment uh, i don't know whether you have maybe you have any advice for me uh, dina what would you as a communications specialist if i was to, to commandeer you to, to to have you as a consultant how, how would you advise me to, to go? Firstly, let me tell you, you're doing a fantastic job. <laughs> That's very kind. <laughs> so thank you for, for what you are doing um, and the change that you're bringing about in so many people's lives. So, so thank you for that. But uh, to be honest, uh, I used to think the, that slavery was something that happened in the past. But uh, when I read that 77% of UK businesses believe that there is likelihood of slavery in their supply chains, I was quite, quite um, appalled. And you, you do know that modern slavery affects about 40 million people and it is deeply embedded in our global economy. And it's across, right? It's across. It could be as close to the shirt you're wearing, uh, the coffee you drank this morning, and even the technology we all use today. And um, I think everyone has a role to play, uh, both businesses and governments um, are responsible at the end of the day to stop exploitation. Uh, although slavery is illegal uh, everywhere, uh, but laws uh, need to be upheld and people need to be protected. Mm. Uh, traffickers will continue to trap and exploit people otherwise. So unfortunately, our system is built on cost saving and convenience at the cost of everything else, even our natural environment and certainly human rights. Inequality perpetuates inequalities. So I think to begin with, businesses need to be transparent. Okay, they need to be accountable. They need to take steps to prevent exploitation, including proactively checking their supply chains and reporting any exploitation they find. We cannot have sustainability and CSR sit, sit in one department 
that does not hold accountable the procurement and buying operations of another department. They need to ensure that they are doing all they can to mitigate the risk of slavery in their supply chains, ensuring that the workers are paid fairly, ensuring that workers are not paying for their jobs, having robust agreements with suppliers, and doing their due diligence on where the goods really come from. The other thing, Bryn, I believe, is that while you know that businesses and governments have a role to play, as consumers, we can be catalysts to bring about that change. You know, consumer purchasing power is stronger than ever before, thanks to social media and digital media, et cetera. We can really change the way businesses and governments operate. Now, what are the small steps that consumers can follow uh, to just minimize exploitation? First, read, research, educate yourself, talk about it with friends and families, keep the conversation going. Second, write to your favorite brand. Ask them what they're doing to prevent slavery in supply chains. Look for their modern slavery act, either on their website or annual reports. Do a little bit of digging around. Third, know your origin. Know where your coffee is from, where your cocoa is grown, where is this garment made. Look for certifications like fair trade and organic certification or rainforest alliance. And most importantly, as consumers, I think we need to remember to pause before buying. This fast fashion world has encouraged us to impulsively buy and follow the offers and sales eyes, making us perhaps mindless consumers. Remember, as consumers, we need to stay empowered and demand answers. Yeah, I love it. Yes, I love these answers. They're, they're so well condensed. Uh, but I, I'm trying to take notes whilst you're speaking. Oh, that's a good point. Oh, that's a good point. But you're absolutely spot on. And it, it's difficult, isn't it? Because we live busy lives and it sometimes comes down to standing in front of a bunch of bananas and do I buy the ones with the, the fair trade sticker on or not? Well, that's a really nice, easy one for me. In case a couple of pence more banana or whatever, I'll go for that one. But sometimes it's not that simple. Certification is, is a, great, it's a great way of helping to identify companies and supply chains that are making of businesses that are employing ethical supply chains but it's not not the only answer it's certainly not free of issues the certification model and it, it can be can preclude small lot certainly in the coffee industry coffee farmers from from access to because it's quite quite an expense to be affiliated with rainforest alliance or fair trade etc but so it's, sometimes it's tricky but part of it is it is on us isn't it it is on us and uh I'm, you know, I'm a relatively young man. I don't know when you can, what age you get to when you can no longer classify yourself that way. But we've moved a heck of a long way in a short time. So for me, it's absolutely normal to go to a supermarket and be able to buy fruit and vegetables, certainly fruit that have never grown in the UK. Right? There aren't many banana trees in the UK. And buy them any day of the week all year round that's perfectly normal and they i can get them shipped in guacamole shipped in from mexico or whatever and food from the caribbean from africa from india from wherever and that for me i, I have, don't even have to question where that comes from let alone coffee or like you mentioned cocoa and chocolate and we've got to it certainly in the uk i can imagine other countries as well we're so naive to our supply chains and 
at the moment being very topical as we record this in England we're having real supply chain issues because there's a huge shortage of drivers uh, for for food delivery or sains you know supermarket drivers for the big trucks bringing food from depots there was other issues to do with the use of carbon dioxide, which has helped to keep food fresh. That was going, there was a shortage in gas. All of these things that have happened as a consequence of Brexit and the pandemic and a number of different influences have shown these cracks appear. And it's, it's a shock for us. I had to queue outside a petrol station the other day to put some fuel in my tank. Well, that for people in the UK is quite, quite unusual, that inconvenience. What's happened here? What's broken down? But it's not that long ago where we had a seasonal diet you know we'd have certain foods that were grown in the summer and certain in the winter and we would have what's available what comes from local communities what's available to us and things i'm not saying that uh, being falsely nostalgic and all things were better in the past but it, i think the point perhaps you're making or certainly the one i i would make is yeah to grow our awareness is is really important isn't it so i suppose part of your job and mine, I suppose, is to to make that as simple and and con, uh, consumerable. Uh, that can't be a word, can it? Um, but it, but but as simple for someone to get. You know, how do we translate this into the into the sound bite? Um, which I think you are doing a brilliant job of in this interview already. So <laughs> so uh, I think you're in the right right position to to take that on. How are you? What are some of the the schemes you've got at IGM to try and deliver these messages? So um, IGM's uh, 2030 vision uh, is to protect 500 million people from violence and to make justice for people in poverty unstoppable. Uh, IGM works across the globe in 24 communities to address various forms of exploitation. And we have seen uh, an increase in exploitation during the pandemic, but we continue to protect, restore, bring men, women, and children to safety. And like I said earlier uh, in the podcast that our work is possible only because of our followers, our supporters on social media, people uh, who follow us, who, you know, who are part of our community, our champions, our freedom partners are an amazing community of committed individuals who ensure that freedom is a reality for thousands. So I would encourage people listening to this podcast to visit our website, igmuk.org, sign up to become a freedom partner, follow us on social media, be aware of what are the forms of exploitation, what is it that you can do to bring about a change, to end slavery in our lifetime, become a champion, be a part of the movement. Each of us have a role to play in ending slavery for good. So why don't you tell me, and as I look to, to close off our, our podcast together, I want to ask you a couple of pretty simple questions. The first is, Dina, what makes you angry about the world? If I have to sum it up, I think it would be apathy. The fact that if I am not affected, why should I care? If I can afford safety, and if it doesn't affect me in the short term, why should I care? That is something that really makes me angry. Apathy, yeah. Mm. Mm. And also yeah. the fact that, you know, um, those who are affected do not have the power to influence. And while those who have the influential power tend to be very indifferent, you know, the vulnerable people 
are always outside the circle of protection and they do not have access to a functioning public justice system. So that is, that is something that makes me angry. Yeah, the perils of indifference, absolutely. What about what gives you hope? You know, I read somewhere that hope without realism is fantasy, but hope grounded in reality is imagination. Oh, say and that. You have to say that again, Dina. Say that again, because I want to remember that one. Hope, hope without reality without is fantasy. And fantasy. hope grounded but in reality is imagination. Is imagination. And, oh. and that is what makes us imagine a better world and make that happen. My hope for the future is one day slavery will, will become a thing of the past, that men, women, and children will be protected by a functioning public justice system, wherever they are in the world. That is my hope, and I know that it will happen. Love it. I love it. I love that quote. I'm definitely going to steal it. Can I write that as Dina Rodriguez, or have you nicked it from somebody else? I heard it somewhere. <laughs> that's good, that's good enough. No such thing as true originality. We all, we all just... Uh, we nick, nick other people's slogans and farm them off as our own. That's absolutely uh, acceptable in my book. Um, closing question, Dina, because I know we're running out of time, but closing question, how can, we, how can we support you in this mission? Or if, let me phrase that a different way. If you were to ask us to do one thing, what would you ask us? I think uh, commitment is important in this movement. And uh, so if, if people are stirred, let them join the movement. And to do that, there are several ways. One thing is to become a freedom partner. So head to our website, look, uh, look, look up what the, what the freedom partner is about, join us and uh, involve yourself in, in this movement to end slavery. Because I believe that uh, everybody deserves to live in freedom. Everybody deserves, um, respect and if we can make that happen it would be amazing um and yeah and and most of the people you know come to me uh, saying that what is it that i can do you know I, I don't know if you if you've heard that but a lot of people come and say what is it that i can do to me i would just uh, you know end with this quote uh, that i love by margaret mead never doubt that a small group of thoughtful committed citizens can change the world indeed it's the only one thing that ever has Together, let's create a world where all are free. I love it. I love it. That's fantastic. You've dropped some fantastic quotes in this podcast. Thank you, Dina. Thank you for coming on and speaking to me and, and sharing with me. I wish you all the best with the, the rest of your, your work. I don't know if you're now you're working back with IJM South Asia, or whether you're with UK or what, what's going on. What is going on there? I am with the, uh, IGM UK. Oh, you're still with the UK, guys. Oh, that's good. Are you going to get a chance to jet back over here at some point? Absolutely. I, I, I leave end of this week. So. Oh, brilliant. Oh, in that case, we'll have to get an in-person coffee. Can you imagine such a thing? Absolutely. Let's do that. Sounds good. Brilliant. Dina, thanks for taking the time. Take care. I'll get you some jaggery so that you know what it tastes like with black coffee. Perfect. That would be great. Please do. Ah, oh, isn't she fabulous? You can certainly tell that Dina is a communications professional, can't you? I can see why IJM snapped her up. What a great spokesperson. 
she dropped some great quotes, didn't she? I was trying to write them down whilst listening. It's about replacing impunity with accountability. I like that one. We cannot have sustainability and CSR in one department with the procurement and buying in the other. Talking about businesses. Yes, Dina, absolutely right. Hope without realism is fantasy, but hope grounded in reality is imagination. I love that one. I don't know who the author is. I think I'll credit Dina for now, but that's a beauty. It's great to hear about the development of the Global Survivor Network too, isn't it? It's so important that we take our lead from people with lived experience. That academia and politics is balanced with real-life experience to avoid the danger of creating ineffective systems of response that don't actually change anything. It's so encouraging knowing that Pachamaya was given the opportunity to address the World Economic Forum. I hope they were listening. I hope we're listening. It's quite a shocking statistic, isn't it, that Dina shared. 77% of UK businesses believe there's a likelihood of slavery somewhere in their supply chains. Okay, business world, what are you going to do about it? I think this is another reason why, in my humble opinion, the Modern Slavery Act in this country needs to sharpen its teeth and bite in the backside any business which fails to seek out and address examples of slavery and exploitation in their supply chain. Under UK GDPR legislation enacted in 2018, that's General Data Protection Regulation, businesses can be fined up to £17.5 million or 4% of their annual turnover, whichever is the greatest, if they fail to appropriately guard your personal data. But if they've been in receipt of goods or services through the trafficking and exploitation of human beings, that, ladies and gentlemen, is the sound of nothing. I was once of the belief that it was necessary to resist the name and shame culture, but rather adopt a more encouraging stance of naming and faming those businesses which display a best practice model with transparent supply chains and fair wages. But it's not enough, is it? Maybe it's the ex-copper in me, but let's not live in a fantasy world relying on people's best nature. We need to hold businesses to account by whatever means. Fines and sanctions tend to be most effective in order to achieve compliance. At the moment, it's like patting every customer on the back who leaves the supermarket without stealing. And as for us, well, Dina laid out some great tips, didn't she? First, start by educating yourself. Build your knowledge around supply chains, about products and where they come from. Write to your favourite brand. Ask them about their supply chain, what they're doing about it. Are they signed up to the Modern Slavery Act? Do they have a Modern Slavery Statement on their website? Know the origin. Find out where your coffee is grown, where your cocoa comes from, where your garment is made. And her final point, which I thought was possibly the best. Pause before you buy. We need to resist this fast fashion craze where just go to a shop and load up on T-shirts, some of which will never get worn or whatever, whatever items. I know I did. I know I've probably still got clothing in my wardrobe that I have never worn. These days, if it doesn't have a Blue Bear logo on it, I don't think I buy clothing anymore. <laughs> 
what a valid point. We do need to stop and think about just what we're buying, whether we, we need to. Or perhaps we can just cut down our, our consuming of certain items. We've discussed these things before, haven't we? Hopefully the more we hear them, the more we will do them. And when we find ourselves in conversations with a mate in the pub who says, well, you'll never change it, will you? You can start by giving a few examples of how we can. If you would like to find out more about Dina's employer, IJM, or perhaps even sign up to become a freedom partner, you can do so by going to ijm.org forward slash give. This podcast is produced by Blue Bear Coffee Co. You can visit our website, bluebearcoffee.com. Load up on t-shirts, ethically made, chocolates, coffee cups, and coffee. Yes, we take every measure to investigate our supply chains in order to reduce the possibility of people being exploited in order for us to get our goods in country. And follow us on social media at Blue Bear Coffee Co. Those of you that are already doing so will know that we've been raising money for our Freedom Fund in recent weeks. One of the organisations in that Freedom Fund is IJM. So you can still give directly to them or you can give to us. The other two organizations are Justice and Care and Unseen. And we will have the money match funded towards the end of the year in the Big Give campaign. Give it all away along with our profits for this year. So if you want to contribute in some small or large way, you can do so by going to bluebearcoffee.com forward slash donate. Thank you, friends. Speak soon. Stay safe. Peace.